I'm Paul Irwin and welcome to the Pros.com podcast, where we discuss everything translation and interpreting related, including how to get new clients, areas of specialization, technical skills, software localization, machine translation, diversification, and more. Pros.com, helping freelance translators and interpreters succeed. This is episode 54, believe it or not. Uh, Wow, how did we get to 54? And today we've got Claudia Brower on the show. Claudia, wow, just a fantastic trainer. There's someone who's worked with pros for so many years, delivering just, just amazing content, helping translators and interpreters from all over the globe. So really delighted to be talking to Claudia about MT and Deep L. So we'll be getting started with that in just a second. If you'd like to find out more about any of the courses mentioned in this podcast or just or just to take a general look at everything that's on offer, then head on over to training.pros.com. That's training.pros.com. Right, let's get started. Claudia Brower is well known for designing and delivering some 230 hours of language-neutral proprietary content for interpreters and translators. Claudia has 40 years of experience as a linguist in Latin America and the USA, logging over 17,000 hours as an interpreter and translating more than 12 million words. She uses this experience to urge her students to become tech-savvy and highly adaptable, to thrive in change, have mental flexibility, and perform well in collective knowledge environments. Claudia, welcome. Hello, Paul. How nice to be here with you. Yeah, great to to be talking to you, Claudia, as always. Now, I know you have, um, I think... Over 40 years experience in the industry. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So we probably could do, um, you know, a whole session or several sessions on that. But um, let's just uh, give, give us a brief, if you can give, take us through a brief summary of your career. I think that would be interesting. Where did it all start for you, Claudia? Oh. Uh, well, it all started in 1977 when I got back. I'm originally from Colombia. I studied high school in the United States and got back. I wanted to be originally an archaeologist. Okay. And um, it didn't happen. So I said, okay, what do I have? And my talent was language. So um, I went to university. Well, at that time, it was a small college. Now it's part of the National University. And I started working as an uh, interpreter first and then as a translator. And this is the 70s. So... That is way, way back. Translation was done in a typewriter. We had to consult books in a library. We had to actually walk to the library. (laughs) It was, we spent more time typing than translating. So that's where it all started. And then it just became a passion. Uh, So I've worked with, I I would say, some of the uh, biggest 500 companies throughout my life. Yeah. And, um, I've, I've been honored to be in multiple life or death uh, situations in interpreting where you feel that you have made a difference. And um, it just became uh, 10 or 12 years ago um, when we had to switch to certain types of um, 
technical environments that I was not really familiar with, I decided to just start a training with pros. I got a call yep. from pros and uh, we started there. And then I was fascinated because I had been a teacher before throughout several parts of my career. And uh, I had done a lot, a lot of teaching to uh, corporate America and corporate yep. uh, Latin America. And I just felt it was, that's it. I fell for it and I fell in love with it. And ever since that's like 80% of my workload is to just create content. And now um, I just hit 65, (laughs) uh, which is officially old age. So I have been semi-retired for a couple of years and I just work, um, you know, I have one client left from many, many clients. I left one just to be in touch with the industry, just to know what's going on, what's what the client wants. This is a very picky client. So I know that they're asking for top state-of-the-art things and they're using sure. state-of-the-art. So I work for them and um, I do you know, a lot of volunteer work for translation in translation. And um, uh, then I do pros and that's about it. And I have 13 grandkids. So that keeps me wow. very, very busy. 13, <laughs> yes. 13 did you say? <laughs> yeah, 13, wow. yes. Wow, yes. amazing. amazing. So, but, but about the yeah. career, yeah, it started in the early 70s and then it just became a passion. And then training for interpreters became a passion 10 years ago through pros. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've worked with a lot of you. We, we've worked with you, sorry, on a, on a lot of different topics. So, so yeah, brilliant. And for a very long time, it has been a very long, yeah. a very yeah. long and successful relationship with, with oh, yes. pros, pros.com. So, yeah, brilliant, brilliant. And today we're going to be talking about um, MT or machine <laughs> translation. Yes. So it's, um, I'm really looking forward to this. It is, of course, uh, a little bit of a controversial topic i would say yes um, yes not that we're going to be avoiding controversial topics but uh, yeah <laughs> um so so yeah where are we with where are we that with mt would it be fair to say that you're in favor of integrating machine translation into translator workflows yeah. Yeah, I I believe that the translator as the person that I was trained to be that except for literature and poetry and other very, very specific niches that is no longer a viable commercial solution. You can do it, but not to make a living on it. To make a living with translation, we now have to really integrate it with uh, computer-assisted tools, CAT, and with machine translation in CAT tools or on itself. I tell you, I am impressed. And that's why I, you know, I vouch for DeepL because I have used it myself a lot uh, for my volunteer work. And it is really fascinating to have seen it evolve to a point where nowadays I sometimes get drafts that I I can barely correct for real. So sometimes when they just sent me something like, for example, they say, Claudia, we need urgently this. We have a meeting in two hours and half of our team doesn't speak Spanish. Can you translate this quickly into Spanish? I translate, let's say 20 pages of English into Spanish, just, and I just read them through and make uh, corrections. and, And that's it. You can have a draft. It's not for publishing. 
but it is readable for those who are going to be in the meeting. So that concept of the good enough is something that really I'm trying people to understand that up until about 12 years ago, we used to work for the top quality. All of us were trained, nothing but the best. Yeah. And as of 10 years ago, good enough is enough for the client. So we have to learn to let go of what we want as translators and start working for the, what the client wants, which is fast, cheap, and just good enough. Yeah. They yeah. Only if they're going to publish for advertising, for example, that's when it has to be perfect. Human parity is the new uh, kid in the block. The, the term human parity is now what we talk about when we talk about mm, machine translation. So machine translation is not at human parity. It is not, but it is at human parity with a little bit of our involvement, not 200 hours yes. of our time. Sure. Sure. And so the difference is that the difference is that uh, let's say the first 150 hours that it would take me to go and do a first draft translation. Those, the machine does it for me. I only invest yeah. the last 50 hours. Yeah. So yeah. And that, that comes makes out, a whole that comes difference. Out straight, that comes out instantly, presumably. It's, that, it is a matter yes. of seconds, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, 150 hours okay. gone like that. And then I put my 50 hours into editing okay. that draft that the machine gives me. And I have 200 pages. I can deliver them in three days. Okay. Well, if I had that, you know, 10 years ago, it would take me maybe a month. I don't yeah. know. I, I, yeah. I'm not very good with, with the timings at this point. But what I'm saying is, in terms of the volume, you know, if a client says, would you be able to have this good enough, good enough, not for yeah. publishing, but yeah. for my lawyers to see it, for example, in, the, in, in terms of the law, all this discovery right now, they just want to see not even good enough just to see if there's portions that they're going to send for human parity. Yeah, so you can okay, have okay. 2000, 2000 pages instead of 2000 pages translating, you're going to be 2000 pages reading and seeing if there are mistakes or not mistakes. Now, when it's human parity, then you're going to invest the time, but you don't have the first, I would say, three quarters of it. So it takes away yeah, the yeah. first three quarters of, of your work for real. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That was quite, yeah. that was quite an answer, Claudia. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So much, so much, so much information packed in there. And I think, um, yeah, I'd like to kind of break it down and sort of divide it up a little bit and talk about some specific points. Uh, okay. Because I think, you know, as I said, it is a, it is a subject that uh, sort of gets people uh, quite emotional. And I think it, it is yes. worth understanding some of the things that some of the points of view that you you have on it and, and and trying to go into it a bit because I think a lot of times when um when people have uh, strong opinions uh, either one way or the other I think you know we fail to look at the detail of what's actually happening so I mean let's take DeepL for example and let's take your your language pair so Spanish English English Spanish right mm -hmm. so in the major languages DeepL is very good right so uh -huh. spanish presumably would be one of the best uh -huh. um, in terms of the quality of the output whereas would it be correct and would it be correct to say that once you get outside of the let's say the 10 most translated languages then it starts to um become less um 
accurate. Is that oh yeah, is that true? oh to- totally. But that doesn't mean that you cannot use it as a tool to save. In, in Spanish, it's saving me three quarters of my work. Maybe in Russian to Italian, it's going to save the person half of their work. Okay, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I their, just wanted to kind work. of make. I just kind of yes. wanted to make that. Oh yes, that no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Okay, brilliant. Yes. Yes. And I think I think the other thing that you said about good enough. I think this is. I think this is a really, um, really a topic that we should be exploring in more detail because I think as translators, we are taught, much as you mentioned, that everything has to be perfect quality, right? And that, that's how you're taught as a translator. You deliver the very best that you can. And therefore, anything that isn't up to that standard is simply um, poor quality translation or has been done by someone who's... Um, not very good or or whatever. So we, you know, there's definitely that mentality out there. Now, the other thing, which I can understand, of course. Now, the other thing that I've heard recently is when it comes to what we might call the the content explosion. So there's so much content out there. It's it's simply a fact that all of this content cannot be translated by human translators because there's too much content. So right. there is, if for certain types of content, so it might be web content or just continual updates or just, you know, we're talking about huge volumes of content out there. We do need some kind of machine translation if that is going to be translated at all. Otherwise it simply wouldn't be translated. So exactly. the options are then MT plus um, post editing um, empty on its own or or nothing. So I think there's there's that reality in in the market, and I'm I'm glad that people are talking about this more. I was talking um, with someone else uh, recently about about these different um, different levels, different um, pricing levels. In fact, I've talked to a couple of people recently um, on the podcast <laughs> about about different pricing strategies for different levels of quality, which is something that um, perhaps wasn't that common. A number of years ago, precisely because what you've said about it being simply the best quality and nothing else will do. So I think that's I think that's a really um, really important. And I'm also glad that you mentioned cat tools. So I think it is widely accepted um, that that cat tools form part of a, a a translation process. I think that's um, I mean I don't have the the statistics with me, but I think the vast majority of of translators um, are using cat tools in in some way and then obviously a capital can be integrated very easily with 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 a machine translation engine and then we also have the question of i mean i don't know how this would work with i mean with with deepl um on in terms of the inputs but we have um ai we have machine learning where where you work with certain type of engine that type of engine gets better over time and that type of engine gets used to a certain type of translation or a certain type of document over time. So there's a, a whole bunch of different things going on, which simply means that to, to my view, my point of view, that that the, the words machine translation, that can mean a whole range of different things. And that can mean a whole range of, like you said, very good output in Spanish uh-huh. um, to it could be poor and inappropriate in some cases. If, for example, if you're going to work with a, um, a language of lesser diffusion, and then you're going to use that output for advertising purposes where oh. everything needs to be right. So there's a whole range there. That's yeah. that's that's right. Okay. Well, now that you mentioned that, see, I've always told people the analogy of the medical industry. That's an industry that all of us, regardless of the part of the world we are in, we all know. So 
you don't go to a surgeon for uh, something in your arm. You know, you, you have mm-hmm. a pain in your arm, you go to yeah. your doctor. You don't go yeah. to a surgeon. If you uh, ha- are going to go to a surgery, you don't go to your PCP, you go to a surgeon. So in the medical industry, we have nurses or even we have uh, health assistants, then we have nurses, we have uh, nurse practitioners, which in the United States, at least they're almost like doctors, but they they can do everything except prescribe. Then you have doctors, then you have specialists, then you have special surgeons, and there's all in between. And then whenever, whatever you have in your body, or even in your mind, you go to the specialist, and you pay for that specialist, you pay your PCP, your provider, your primary care, your home uh, of, uh, doctor, this amount, let's say $1, and you're going to pay the surgeon $10. And yep. you are okay yep. with it yep. because you understand the differences in that. But you cannot tell the surgeon to uh, just uh, do a nail excision <laughs> and you cannot tell a practitioner to do a surgery. And that is kind of like, translators have been this mentality that there's only one quality Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of service and there is not and least of all nowadays because the machine translation output depending on the machine is good bad or very bad or excellent let's say four (laughs) the output itself but also so on this side we have the output of the machine. But also on this side, we have the client's needs. The client's needs are not the same needs as they were 10. So we still have up here, let's say for marketing, for advertising, for publishing, for et cetera, we have excellent human parity, what we call human parity. But then we have good enough. And then we have gist, which is even lower than that. It's just what we're using a lot in the, for example, in the legal industry, in discoveries, where you have 20,000 pages of discovery that you just need to know if you need to translate this or not. That's the only thing. They just want the gist. So what I want people to understand is that it's depending on the quality of the output and the quality of the client is the quality of your output here and the quality that the client asking here you've got a lot of work to do but is is your your client requesting gist and you're trying to and you have a very good machine you're only going to read it that's it and how do you you have to understand that yes yes and i and i think as as we work in the industry i think it it is um we, we are able to understand that but how do you explain that to a client um, how, how have you find that sort of, found that sort of client education in terms of? Okay. My, um, my, my perspective has always been that's not my problem. Educating the client is not my problem. I'm the translator. I'm the post editor. Then on my side, I belong to this associations or to this corporate. And then those are the ones that educate the client. I, it's very difficult for me as a translator to educate the client. Okay. okay. Now, yeah. If, yeah. If, if I receive a job, if I receive a job, from a client that wants very cheap to pay very cheap for very good quality, then I can explain, listen, I can do this, okay, but it's not going to be, it's not going to be a professional translation of parity to a human, or I can do the old style human translation at the old style human okay. race. 
So you, you give different that. options. You give different options yeah. to the clients sometimes. Yeah, and you can tell okay. them if you want humanly translated documents, I'll charge you my human translation rate. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Okay. Well, I think one thing's I think one thing is clear, Claudia, is that lots lots of translators are now using MT as part mm-hmm. of as part of their process. Obviously, depending on the language pair, depending on the type of document that they're working with depending on, um, you know, people are putting into different levels of post editing into that, um, depending on the client relationship, everything, everything that goes into this equation, but it's, it's, it's clear that a lot of people are working with MT. And, uh, and I think that's only going to um, continue. I mean, from my point of view, I think it makes sense for translators to understand this process, even if they decide that it's not for them. But I think many people are going to realize that it is something that can be that can that they can work with. It is something that's going to increase output, is going to increase efficiency, and it's not about providing a poorer um, quality work to to translators. Cla- Claudia, is still there? Yes. Sorry, yes. No, I thought you. I thought you. I thought you'd frozen there for a minute because you were no, just no, no, uh, no, no. very, very I'm still. I'm just hearing, yeah. trying, trying to hear and understand what you're saying because I, I, I think that there's one thing that we as a translation community have not accepted, and that's the term of post editor. If you yes. see the word post editor, it does not have the translator in it. Post editors are translators that post edit, but they are not doing translation. The translation Mm -hmm. process in Mm -hmm. the brain Mm -hmm. of taking one word in one language and transferring it to another language. That is what translation is. Yes. We are not doing that. If we're using machine translation, it's the machine that's doing the translation, but we understand enough about translation to see if that output of the machine is or not of good quality. And yep. that's why there's yep. many engines. And, and I, I vouch for DeepL because the work that I do today, I'm going to tell you, it's very simple. It's forward. It's not complicated. It's not, for example, the automobile industry, to tell you one, the ones that I would never work for. Never in my life yep. had a, have yep. I accepted mechanics. I can't. Yeah. Yep. But yep. that's that, for example, maybe DeepL is not a good engine for it. Maybe um, IBM uh, Watson is. I don't know. So each of those industries has had, like the medical industry had with medications or everything, find what suits them. Now, we as translators, if we are given the opportunity, then we also have to determine which is the best engine for us, for our language pair, as you were saying in the beginning, for our market and for our personal needs. There's people working in Africa or in uh, uh, in uh, the Sahara that just don't have the tools or don't have the access to this or that. And let me tell you, DeepL has changed their lives because they just go to a cafe or someplace, they hook up a special device that there's now to ensure quality or, well, there's some that I train them how to block off certain things. They translate in two minutes. That's all they have on yeah. internet. Yeah. They go, they go to computer, da, da, da. They clear it and then they go back to another internet cafe and do it. So we in the West are very much used to the fact that we have internet access, cat tools, computers, and all the sorts of things. And there's a gigantic portion of the world that doesn't have that 
uh, to work with. And those yeah, are the yeah. countries that are exploding now that are needing because all the things that we have done in the past 40 years, they are needing now just in terms of medical uh, equipment and healthcare resources in Africa. That is hugely just in terms of the immigration crisis in, yeah. in the East right now, you need a lot of things. So what I want people to understand is that we do not live in the same world of even 10 years ago. The world has different needs. And we, if we really want to be of help to humanity, we have to think, what are the needs out there that I can yeah. meet? Yeah. And what am I willing to abide or not? I stopped translating certain things that I had done for 30 years because I did not want to do it that way, the way that during the change into cat tools, oh, I just yeah. didn't like it. But then I adapted to what I want to do. So it's all in you. It is you who mm -hmm. decide, but you are not going to stop this. Me as a translator, I can't stop it. I'm not vouching for this. I yeah. am just cannot stop it. So I have to learn to work with it. I adapt to the circumstances yeah, yeah. and get to know the tools that you will need in five years, because that's the other thing. So I read a very, very recent mem source, which is a cat tool has a fantastic um, study, a research paper mm. that they published. And they say, what did they say? 60, six, zero percent of all translation in the world is done by machine translation mm. already. Yep. without human intervention and yep. nobody wants a human to intervene there it's already already only 40 percent of that they're saying okay let's have a human in the mix so because there's not enough humans for that other 60 percent whether we want it or not there isn't there is an overload of translation to be made and not enough translators that can do it quickly as our world needs it yeah, yeah. No, brilliant, brilliant. Now, there's so there's so much to this, uh, Claudia. There's so many different things going on, and I think for for a translator listening to this, it's, it's just about finding your place in exactly in in this uh, you know in in this world, if you like, in the, in business, yes. finding out what processes are going to work for you, what clients are going to work best with you, and so on and so on, and 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 sort of adapting and. And adjusting, and, and another another word I heard the other day was upskilling. So, sort of adding yes. skills to your existing bank of skills, of which this you know Capital MT integration could could be one of of. So, so yeah, there's lots of things going on. Let's let's take a minute now, the last few minutes, just to talk specifically about your workshop because your workshop has been extremely popular, absolutely massively <laughs> oh, I popular. I love it. <laughs> we've got I love uh, it. we've got the next edition coming up. Um, on the 20th, 28th of April, 2022. But if you have missed that for any reason, then um, then head on over to training.pros.com and you will see the, the next edition um, up there because we are on a, on a cycle for this uh, very popular workshop. So tell us a little bit about who it's for and what you're going to help people achieve. Claudia, please. Okay. Uh, the name of the workshop is to learn to use DeepL as part of your uh, um, experience. And I use DPL because that's what I use. I only teach what I use or what, what I have personal experience with. Yeah. So I've 
I've worked with all the other uh, engines and they're good, but for me, for my purposes, my, my language pair, my work, et cetera, that's DeepL. So I've become very good at using it and I want to give people that knowledge. How do you use it? It's very, very simple. We'll cover that in the first 20 minutes. So there, you, you've done it. What I will teach afterwards is what's important, which is how to post edit that machine translation mm -hmm. that you got from DeepL. And so we're going to be working on all the little um, things that I've learned to do that will make your life easier so that you can use DeepL. I say DeepL, but we could call it anything you want. Google Translate, you could call it IBM, whatever. Whatever you want to call it, the engine of your preference. Once you know how to use DeepL, I like it because it's output is extraordinarily good in my language pair in the uh, domains where I work. Yep. But after that, if you like other engines, the rest of the, of the workshop is about quality, how to attain quality. If you want human parity or if they ask for non-human parity, they're asking you for good enough. What do you do? And the other thing is how to recognize where not to spend your time. Because I mm -hmm. think that the big frustration of translators uh, in becoming used to both CAD tools and machine translation is that we have spent so much time trying to correct errors that are not significant for the client. Mm -hmm. It's a horrible thing to say. I would have not agreed with myself 20 years ago. Yeah, again, but... that's, I like that. I like that. It's a, con <laughs> it's a controversial statement, but I think it's also a very practical one, given the times and given the, and, the content. And I tell you, and so I would have said that 20 years yep. ago. Yeah. But that's not what it's today. You know, that's it. The cars that we're using today are not the cars we were using in the 1970s. That's it. Yeah. There's no more... A lot. You take it to a mechanic and a mechanic nowadays is used to the cars of today. That's what they were trained on. That's what they want. So I want people to understand that the world of today for whom we're producing this is not what they were 40 years ago. That's not it. Yeah. So we have to adapt to the client's needs. If anything, anything I want people to understand from this is what are your client's needs? If you understand what your client needs, then you can talk him into paying you for human parity. Then, you know, but if you misunderstand your client's needs and you're trying to convince your client to have human parity for some memos that they're going to take to a workshop with their sales agents that are going to end up in the trash can two hours from there, they don't care about that. They yeah, just want it yeah. fast and cheap. And yeah. then you decide whether or not you do that fast and cheap. It's, in, it's within you to say no. It's okay. Yeah, That's yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. But don't spend time where you're not needing to spend time. Okay, brilliant, brilliant. So, yep, um, really looking forward to it anyway. It's uh, 28th of April, two-hour workshop, 2 p.m. GMT, and uh, Claudia will take you through everything that you need to know about DeepL, including how to use the free version, how to use the paid version, learn to ensure confidentiality, post-editing techniques, quality assurance rules and how to use and create electronic glossaries. So I think pretty much everything you'd need to know in order to get started. As I said, it is a very, very popular cause. And I think one of the reasons for that is something that I, that I mentioned earlier. I, I think it's 
just at the very least exploring this exactly. possibility for your own workflow or for it might might apply to part of your workflow or to a certain type of clients or if you have multiple work with multiple language pairs it might work well for one of those language pairs so i think looking for these uh, additional efficiencies is something that 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 makes sense in today's uh, day and age we always talk about rates a lot um <laughs> and we we talk about for example you know getting 10% more 20% more 30% more on a rate. Um, I don't think we talk enough about productivity and efficiency because if you can inc- increase your your productivity by 30%, you're essentially doing the same thing. You are increasing exactly. your in- increasing your rate. So that's uh, that's something else to keep in mind. So Claudia, as always, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for today. your patience with me. <laughs> <laughs> so really appreciate all that you guys do. Uh yeah. you know, I'm a fan of pros uh and uh and uh, everything that you do I follow you closely so thank you very very much. No, thanks to you. Thanks to you Claudia. And um yeah, just just finally that link again training.pros.com. Hope to see you there. And uh, Claudia, thanks very much. Thank you very much. All the best. Bye-bye.